Hello and welcome to Spoken Like a Native podcast. My name is Diane. I'm an English teacher from Scotland and a devoted language learner. And this podcast is for those learning English to improve their listening and vocabulary with episodes on engaging topics like culture, current events, history and how languages work. If you want to improve your speaking and listening, head over to speakmeters.com where you can take part in small group conversations hosted by native speakers. This is an amazing way to boost your fluency, expand your vocabulary and increase your confidence by practicing with qualified, certified and selected native speakers who really enjoy helping people. There are sessions at a range of levels for English, French, Spanish and German, so book your first session today, speakmeters.com. And don't forget, you can take part in this podcast by telling me your ideas for topics. Information about how to get in touch with us is in the description. Enough beating around the bush, let's get this episode underway. So this is episode number six of Spoken Like a Native. If you listened to the previous episode, you will hopefully remember that we have an interview with Sarah. This is part two of that interview. Sarah told us about how she ended up moving from the UK to Australia to Paris, changing jobs, and there was a bit of a quiz. So up to the point that we are at the beginning of this part of the interview, Sarah was describing how she ended up becoming an English teacher. So basically, why was she in France and what happened then? I think one thing that you can get from listening to this interview is probably the contrast between the way that I speak and the way that Sarah speaks. The point of which is just to show you that there's no one standard way of speaking. There are, even within Britain, we're both British, there are different regional accents. I'm from the southeast of Scotland, although I spent a lot of time in my childhood abroad and I also moved to Cambridge and also lived in London. As a result of that, my accent is a bit bit of a mix of different influences. Sometimes it's a bit hard to place, but I think you can hear some Scottishness in there. Sarah, on the other hand, is from what's called one of the home counties, Kent, which is one of the counties surrounding London. And so for the part two of this interview, I'll just let the interview run and then I'll butt in every now and again to explain things. So at the beginning, we're talking about the beginning of the pandemic and the lockdown. Yeah, my impression was that because I was I was in I was in Cambridge at that time, um, but uh, so we we kind of had a lockdown, but it was the UK one was a little bit lax if you compare it to other countries, and we got the impression from from France especially that um, it was quite tightly policed, and also in Italy as well. I think it was quite strict. Here we have a contrast between two adjectives, lax and strict. So it's about how strongly are the rules being regulated. If it's lax, you don't need to worry so much. It's a bit more easygoing. If it's strict, you need to worry. So was it fairly strict? Were you being controlled where yes. you went at all times? Yeah. In fact, we had to... Um, Sign, take paperwork with us and proof of who we were all the time. And I actually got, and you're only allowed to go out for 
one hour a day and not allowed to go further than one kilometer from your home. And yeah, I heard about that. I actually got stopped by the police on several occasions just to be checks. Mm-hmm. So have you got a French residency then? I have got a cut to say sure, yes. Ah, okay. So it wasn't any issue about about paperwork or anything? Was it quite easy to sort of transition to living in France? No, it was not no. easy at all. Okay. It was really difficult. No. So were you living permanently in France at this time or was this... So no, um, we weren't. We no. were living okay. in the UK. But going to, we bought this apartment in Paris and we were going over here for long weekends. Right, okay. And then... Um, the lockdown came and we knew that Brexit was coming. Mm-hmm. So we did, you know, we set about getting residency. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you'll stay in France permanently now? We, w- we would like to because okay. once we have stayed here for five years, that's when we can stay start the procedure of getting a French passport and French citizenship. You were, I think you were getting on how, how, how did you end up teaching English? Oh, right, yes. So when I first went to the, um, as part of the citizenship, the residency, Carte de Séjour, mm-hmm. um, procedure you have to go and you've got to prove that you're not going to be a drain on society you've got to prove that you've got somewhere to live that you've got enough money to live off yeah and whilst I was there having my interview the lady said to me I I wasn't working and the lady who who took my interview said "Hmm, so okay great I see all of this and now show me your fiche de pay, your pay slips. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, I don't have any, but I do have a letter from my husband, who's a lawyer, who said that he's going to take care of me. And she said, hmm, I don't like but, this idea. Okay, so you're not working... I wasn't working at that stage okay. in France. I didn't have a fiche de pay. And so she went away and said, oh, you will work... We will give you a one-year um, card, but when you come back to renew it, I want to see your fiche de pay. So I tried to get a job in PR, but failed. And someone said, why don't you do something that you are actually good at? I said, what's that? They said, well, when you speak English to me, this is a French person, mm-hmm. I can... You have a very clear way of speaking and you are easy to understand. Why don't you apply for a job as an English teacher? Okay. So I thought, hmm. And then I looked into TEFL courses and I Mm -hmm. took a TEFL course. So what's a TEFL course? T-E-F-L, pronounced TEFL for short is stands for teaching English as a foreign language. So if you want to work as a teacher of English, you have to do at least one course. There's varying levels of complexity, but that's the basic you have to do is at least one course in TEFL. 
applied for a job teaching English, and it was extremely easy to get an English job. A Do you think that was because they were looking for native teachers? Yes. Yeah. If you've got a clear voice um, and you've got some kind of qualification uh, um, and you're a native speaker abroad, I think it's, it's very highly sought after. Hmm. So you, do you enjoy the English teaching? I absolutely love it. Okay, why, why do you like it? Because I love chatting to people. <laughs> do you do groups or one-to-one? I do um, both. I do mm-hmm. one-to-ones with children um, I do one-to-ones with adult and I, adults, and I do groups with adults. Okay, okay. Um, and so I did just, you do? Sorry, did you do your TEFL course online then? Yes. Ah, okay. Okay. So it was like a kind of um, unplanned move in a way. To, circumstances helped you to decide to relocate to. France, is that right? Yes, but also um, both my husband and I were not Brexit supporters. We were very much Remainers. Okay. So you wanted to make sure that you weren't going to be stopped from being able to be in Europe. Yes. So we have Brexiteers and Remainers. So the people who supported Brexit, who thought that Britain should leave the European Union. This was after the referendum in 2016. I remember it well. Um, So people who wanted to leave the EU are called Brexiteers, while people who wanted Britain to stay in were called Remainers. So Sarah is saying that she and her husband were Remainers. Yeah, I think that's quite... I've heard that from from several people trying to find their connections. Do I have a relative somewhere? Can I, you know, buy a property somewhere? Yes, but buying a property isn't enough. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I have a um, European citizen husband, so I just... um, how to get married. Well, I didn't have to, but it, it's helpful to get married. And then the residency process is a little bit easier. Um, but we've only been in Spain since um, it was April last year. So, And I spent some time during that time in Scotland as well. It takes some time to adjust to a different country. Mm. But I guess you, you were already quite um, familiar with France already. Yes. How about how how good is your French? Do you are you really comfortable and able to say whatever you want? Um, my no, I am not entirely fluent. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is very good. Mm-hmm. My speaking is B two plus plus slash C one. Okay. However, I have I think that I speak French very well. So Sarah is talking about the levels of a language. This is for every European language, but I'm sure you can apply it to different languages that aren't in Europe as well. So a beginner would be at A1 or almost zero below. Then you go from A2, B1, 
And at B1, you're a solid intermediate. B2, you're upper intermediate. And if you get to C level, you're advanced. So Sarah says that she's almost at advanced level in speaking French. But within the first breath I take, people know that I'm English. <laughs> Why, how do they know? I don't know. But I might go things like, allô? And they go, Hello. oh, no. Oh, elle est anglaise. Oh, la, la. <laughs> so do, do people, what, what happens when people realize that you're not a, a French person? They speak, they, if they know how to speak English, they will speak to me in English. Yeah, even and if their English is much worse than your French. <laughs> because they want to practice their English mm. and they want to show yeah. how good they are. And mm -hmm. quite often I will say things like, Oh, j'habite en France. Il faut que je pratique. And what do they say? They go, Oh, c'est mignon. Oh la la, c'est mignon. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's strange that reaction because although I'm I'm not in a big city, but um, if anyone knows that I've had encounters with people who they know that I'm not Spanish, although I speak Spanish quite well, it's it's quite clear that I'm not Spanish. More for like attitudes and behavior than hmm. actually that, or or how I look more than the actual language itself. Um, but they. If you say that you're an English teacher and they're like, oh, yeah, I should really improve my English because everyone in, Sp in Spain wants to have good English because it's required a lot in lots of jobs. But you say, okay, we can chat because I'd be like, at that point, I might be completely fed up of speaking Spanish. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, we can speak English if you want. And they just shut up. They're like, yeah, I should. Yeah, I should. And they just start to feel really uncomfortable. And they'll say like one one sentence and they're they get embarrassed so they switch oh. back to to spanish and uh yeah but you can understand it because you know in, in in britain like it's very difficult to get people to speak foreign languages really i think no they're hopeless yeah <laughs> so if you don't have to do it this is what i was saying in one of the podcast episodes i've been recording about myths about Uh, you know, British people don't want to speak other languages or they're, they're xenophobic and they, or they want everyone to speak English. But if you think of, if English is the language of business, um, it's the lingua franca, then, of course, like, if you're not forced into it, speaking another language is very difficult. Yes. So, mm. Whereas if you're Spanish, if you're Chinese or whatever, like, it, they they have it drummed into them from an early age you should have some it's it's going to be useful for your career for your earning power but I think I don't know um maybe your experience of learning languages was um different from mine but um I felt as if it was oh it's just something nice something extra that you can have you know maybe those you know you, you're kind of a weirdo if you're really into languages but it's not necessarily very important Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, I love the fact that I could that I was good at French at school. And after school, I took on extra French lessons and then of course, as you heard, I went to the Sorbonne to improve my French even more. Mm -hmm. And um no, but it is unusual. But I've been yeah. really surprised now that I work with all of these adults and I've worked with several companies where they have said 
that even though they might have an office full of French people, the official language at their, in their company is English. So they yeah. all have to be able to write and speak English. Yeah, I used to work at a um, business English school and yeah, all the students were like, they, they would be so, oh, my English is so terrible, my English is so terrible. But at least they could say something and they could communicate, um, even if it was quite basic. Um, and you think that the majority of, I don't know, British people, American people, they say one word in another language and they expect to be, you know, given a pat on the back. <laughs> they can say, oh, hola, or bonjour, and they think, oh, um, that's enough to show that you've learned something. But there's this kind of um, embarrassment factor about it, I think. Um, I think they should be embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, why? Because you should at least try a bit harder than bonjour yeah. if you're coming to France, even if it's mm -hmm. just for a vacation. Yeah. You don't need to be able to have a proper conversation, but you could say something like, Uh, bonjour, je voudrais une cro mm -hmm. uh, un croissant, s'il vous plaît. So, do you, is the is the reaction generally quite positive to you as a as a foreigner? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's that's good. Um, what about? Have you felt any kind of culture clash moments that you've had? Many times you felt, um, you know, there's something kind of, you know, longing for for England or for Australia in terms of, like, there's something very different about the French or the French culture? I found odd things along the way, such as knowing what to take when you are going to somebody's house. Mm-hmm. Okay. No. And knowing what is the most appropriate thing to take or mm -hmm. not take. So... Finding the balance and getting the balance right has been a learning experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the same in Spain, but they have, um, a, they have a phrase here in France about they don't want people to arrive avec des mains vides, with empty okay. hands. sure about the conventions um, but yeah I think often people will bring something like they might probably bring a dessert it's probably the most most common thing or something to drink not that I've been at dinner parties we're not really a dinner party kind of uh, couple but yeah um, yeah no I haven't had too much of that experience um, What's what I was going to say? What about when you went from um, from England to Australia? Did, is there a big cultural shift there? Between England and Australia? Yeah. Uh, well, <clears throat> there, was, uh, there was a little bit in that I couldn't for the life of me find a boyfriend in Australia. Okay, okay. They all just thought that I, because of the way that I speak, they thought mm -hmm. that I was the Queen of England. <laughs> And they didn't like that? They didn't find it very sexy. Oh, okay. You think the Americans would like it? I think they might do. It's but strange. 
by contrast, when I arrived in France, it was almost as if a memo had gone out saying, cute British woman wanted, and they were almost queuing up at the airport. Mm. So, so French guys like English women. Yes. Oh, is it that? Is it? Do you think it's just a? Is it like um, a poshness thing, or is it just speaking English? Or what is it? Do you think they see? Like? You know how we English people find a French accent very attractive. Yeah. It turns out the French men find the English accent when an English person is speaking French very attractive. Okay. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. I think my... my um, I, I speak French as well, but um, it's always been more of a for fun. Uh, I've done a lot of conversation exchanges and things, so it's never it's never been in a romantic context. Um, because I only started speaking French when I um, after I was already with my my partner, but in Spanish, um, yeah, my partner says that it's like um, it's a personality shift because I speak very well, um, but it's almost like I have a, a a different type of voice because I sound more confident in English, a bit more I don't know mature because obviously it's my first language and I I teach um, the language and I've had a even though I'm Scottish, I've had a very kind of um, elite type education. Whereas when I speak Spanish, he says, oh, you sound like a little little girl. It sounds quite, quite cute and, and um, sweet because, um, because the, the way that um, Spanish women speak, they have a, a bit more of a lower tone of voice mm. than they have that. Is, is there a difference in the, the tone of voice? Do you think between yeah, no, yes, there the absolutely is. And I remember when I was with my French fiance, um, at that stage, my French wasn't as good as it is now, and so I wasn't so talkative. Mm -hmm. And I used to say to him, Your friends must think that I am absolutely incredible in bed because otherwise, <laughs> why on earth would you be seeing me? Yeah. Because I sound like a little child with the vocabulary <laughs> that I had. Yeah. Yeah, it was always funny. Like, I don't know, did your parents ever meet your French boyfriend? Yes. What did they... So did he speak English? Well, when we first started, when we first got together, he spoke halting English. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that we were together I let him make many mistakes and I only corrected the most urgent ones mm -hmm. he corrected me at every single mistake <laughs> which halted my progress I believe mm. yeah and now he can speak fantastic English yeah and that that's definitely a good point like you have to have a good balance between correcting and encouraging someone to to keep speaking hmm. yeah yeah because i was going to say like the the impression of your your parents or your your family or your friends um because i i feel like that in in spain as uh being a british person in the kind of spanish 
it sounds like you're probably a lot more chatty than I am. I'm quite introverted. And then I'm with a big group of Spanish people and they're talking and talking away. And I'm kind of waiting for a gap and I, it never comes in Spain. It just doesn't come. Um, but then the the inverse of like when my family meets my husband and he's uh, extremely polite and trying to trying to say everything correctly and um, yeah it's kind of it's it's funny when you see the different side of your partner when they meet uh, obviously because my parents can't speak Spanish you can't have that that fluency there mm. it's a it's a strange um, but your your current um, your husband is is English yes and does he speak French as well perfectly Oh, yeah, you said he studied at university. And his father was a French teacher. Ah, okay. Great. Well, I think I'm going to have to let you go in a second. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say before we finish? I think we should let everyone take a breath and because I could keep on talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And that, dear listener, is where we ended it. So I think Sarah and I will probably have a follow-up conversation at some point in the future on different topics. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you learned a lot about what it's like to live in another country, our reflections on teaching English, on learning other languages, being in Europe as British people. Um, so yeah, I hope you liked it. Please, 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 if you're listening on an app that allows you to leave a review, uh, I think on Spotify you can give a rating out of five. Please rate five out of five. Or if you're on Apple Podcasts, I think you can write a review. Um, if you do so, that would really, really help get more visibility. If you have any suggestions about topics or any feedback, good or bad, there will be some contact details in the description field, so have a look down there. New features coming up soon is going to be uh, transcriptions of the episodes. And what else is coming up? What else do I need to tell you? Oh, yeah, so the next episode, I think, is going to be a part of an interview with Nelly, who's from Côte d'Ivoire, who speaks very good English, and about her experience of being an immigrant in France, which I think will be really interesting. Well, I know it's interesting. I've already listened to it. Um, and I'm thinking of doing an episode about different types of culture. So anyway, as I said, please uh, share this episode if you enjoyed it. Please leave a review. Also, remember to go over to Speak Meters, um, and that's a great place for you to find lots of different sessions to practice English, to practice French, Spanish, and German. More languages, hopefully, to come in the future if you get more, more people who uh, are willing to speak a different language. That would be amazing. So just go over to speakmeters.com. And that's it for today. So... See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. What do you think about today's topic? Remember, you can get in touch by leaving a comment or by joining the Speak Meters community. Follow Speak Meters on Instagram and subscribe to Spoken Like a Native on your favorite podcast platform. You can also leave a comment and like the stream. 
please, please, please leave a review. It really helps us to find new listeners who are looking for fun language learning content. And lastly, don't forget to head over to speakmeters.com to take part in live conversations hosted by friendly native speakers. That's all for today. Catch you next time. Bye.